Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are continuing on in our series in the book of Jonah, and here Jim Jordan is going to further discuss some of the biblical theology and typology in the book. We do want to remind you about our new podcast, The Civitas Podcast. I have links down there in the show notes for you, both links to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can listen to that new show featuring Peter Lightheart and James Wood as we investigate post-liberalism and political theology. We really hope that you enjoyed this time of teaching, and we want to thank you so much for listening. And here is James Jordan discussing the book of Jonah. We did spend some time on Jonah chapter 1, and let me just remind you, Jonah is a prophet of the northern kingdom. He knows that the northern kingdom is coming under judgment. God raised up Elijah and Elisha to cause, uh, to preach to the northern kingdom, preach repentance, and they didn't listen. And now they've got one bad king after another, and he knows judgment's coming. And he also knows from the book of Deuteronomy that God said, when I have had enough, I will cast you off and go find somebody else and make them be my people. If you provoke me with that which is not God, I will provoke you by selecting those which are not people. And so when God comes and says, go to Nineveh, Jonah knows what that means. And he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to give up. God comes to Yuri Grito and says, I've had it with Pensacola, and I've had it with this Providence Church. These people just aren't willing to go along. I mean, I've had enough, and I want you to go to Cuba and preach there. And Yuri says, no, I've been praying for these people for years. I don't want to go to Cuba. And so instead of going to Cuba, he heads to China. But God sends a big fish and eats Yuri up and spits him back out in Cuba. And so he goes to Havana and preaches for three days, and the whole nation converts. Castro puts on sackcloth and ashes. Now that's, that's the situation here, you know. Uh, or even better, he's sent to uh, Tehran and every, everybody converts. I mean, this is kind of the threat here of Syria. And, and Jonah knows that if God takes the message over there to them, God might just well convert them. And that's what he says at the end of the book. He says, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to save these people. I knew you would do this. And... Uh, because he knows what it means. Paul does the same thing in Romans 11. We're more familiar with that. Paul quotes the same passage in Deuteronomy. Paul is another Jonah going out to Gentiles. And he says, when the Gentiles convert, it will provoke the Jews to jealousy. And uh, because the gospel is being taken from them and being given to others. And Jesus says the same thing throughout. You know, that God is going to bring from the east and the west and the north and the south sons of Abraham. The kingdom is going to be taken from you. And you'll see all these other people enjoying the banquet and you yourselves cast out. Now, this is what's in Jonah's mind. So before we all think that Jonah is, a, you know, some kind of a nationalist, he just hates everybody else. Understand it's his compassion for his own people that is causing him not to see the full picture so he flees and he is put into the ship and there's a great wind on the sea and Jonah is sound asleep in the ship and the ship is about to go down and Jonah says, throw me in the sea and then because I serve Yahweh and I've disobeyed him. 
And he's the God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything else. And all of a sudden, these Gentile sailors, they all convert. And they start praying to Yahweh, the Lord, and they offer sacrifices to him and they make vows to him, which is to say they have fellowship meals with him. They they come into the kingdom because Jonah is thrown into the sea. Um, and, of course, everything in there, I'm just going to we're just going to ramble today. I never ramble, but today I'll ramble. I can't believe anyone laughed at that. I cried so hard. Who else was sound asleep in a boat when there was a storm? Jesus, right? You know, and he's, he woke up and he, the storm suddenly stopped. You know, he just said, shut up, be still, and the storm stopped. Okay, but you see, the sign of Jonah is that Jesus would be cast into the sea. Jesus would spend three days and nights in the heart of the earth, just as Jonah spent three days and nights in the fish. And the result would be the Gentiles would be saved. When Jesus was on the cross, who was it who said, surely this man is the Son of God? A Gentile, a representative of the empire, a centurion, okay? And... uh Jesus, three days and nights in the heart of the earth. When did that start, do you think? This is a big issue, you know. Some people say Jesus was crucified on Wednesday because he had to be three days and nights in the tomb, right? Like Douglas Wilson. Isn't he still on that stick? I don't know. He used to, that used to be one of his things, but that's an old issue. Well, I, I think the going into the heart of the earth is his arrest uh, in the uh, garden. The heart of the earth is Jerusalem. It's also called the navel of the earth in uh, Ezekiel. And so to come under that power uh, and, to st- and to be whipped and put on trial and falsely accused and all that, that's the three days and nights, I would say. So, okay, now we, you know, we have a little forward-looking thing here. Jonah thrown into the sea and his sacrifice results. His witness and his sacrifice have the effect of converting these Gentiles. And in chapter 2 we read that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And we have this uh, psalm here, which we have sung, and I guess it's now in our in our repertoire. We can sing it again uh, anytime the powers that be want to stuff it into the liturgy. And basically, he talks about being in the depth of shell. Just to read it to you, it's so short. Verse 2, I called out in my distress to Yahweh. He answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol, from the belly of Sheol. That's the place of departed spirits. Okay? We'd say, he descended into hell in the creed, you know. I think we say he descended into Hades here. When I was growing up, we said he descended into the place of departed spirits. Uh, that was the way we said the Apostles' Creed sometimes. I cried for help from the depth of the place of departed spirits. And thou didst hear my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the current engulfed me, and the breakers and billows passed over me. And I said, I have been cast out from before your eyes. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Now, if you're in the bottom of the, if, if you're inside of a big fish, especially prepared fish, it says. Uh, special fish. I mean, he's inside there, you know. He's got his bookshelf and all the other stuff, and this specially prepared fish. 
But how are you going to look toward God's temple if you're in a fish? He has to mean the heavenly temple, see. The real ultimate temple is what he's talking about. Since, since I'm rambling. You read in the Psalms, and David talks about going into the house of the Lord. There was no house of the Lord. The temple wasn't built till Solomon. So what's he talking about? And this comes up over and over again in the Psalms. What is the house of the Lord that David is talking about when he says, I came into the house of the Lord? Look around this room. This is it. He's talking about the people house. Don't think that there wasn't any people house in the Old Testament. The people house is first and then the architectural house in the Old Testament every time. Okay. And so David meant that there is no temple. It hasn't been built yet. And if there was, since he's not a priest, he couldn't go into it anyway. When he talks about going into the house of the Lord, he means getting together with God's people. Um, and just the same thing it means for us. All right. All right. Where was I? Okay. Looking toward the holy temple, which has is, is got to be, you know, a mental looking toward heaven. Water encompassed me, verse 5, to the very soul. The great deep engulfed me, surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. That must have happened on his way to the fish. I was ascended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Well, it wasn't around him forever, was it? Here we have this Hebrew word forever, everlasting, that doesn't quite mean the same thing as it means in English, does it? Obviously not, because he's not going to be down in there forever. He's going to come back up in three days. So why does he say forever? It's not the idea of endless time, but of certainty. Okay, it's, it, it would have been forever if God hadn't raised him back up. But when, you know, when our dispensational brothers and sisters tell us, well, God made this land promise to Abraham forever. Uh, so the Jews still have to inherit the land and all this sort of stuff in the future. You have to understand, Hebrew doesn't mean forever the way we mean it in English. It has the idea of security, firmness for as long as it takes. And so he's there. The bars were around him forever in the sense of this is absolute. I mean, they, they, he, had, he was trapped in there. He was imprisoned, imprisoned with bars. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, while my soul within me fainted, I remembered Yahweh. And my prayer came to thee into thy holy temple. They see the, te- the temple again is a heavenly temple. Now I want you to look at this verse. If you're not looking at it, listen to it. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came before thee. When he says, I remembered the Lord, what does that mean? He'd forgotten about the Lord and so finally he remembered him, right? See. Every Sunday you hear, do this for my memorial. When he says, I remember the Lord, much better translation would be, I memorialize the Lord and my prayer was sent up to him. I reminded the Lord. That's what it means. It doesn't mean I remember the Lord. It means I reminded the Lord and I sent my prayer up to him. It's God who needs to be reminded. He doesn't need to be. He wants to be. Because it's good for us to remind him, you know. Jonah hadn't forgotten about the Lord. 
But then he prayed and he asked God for help. He said, Lord, here I am. Don't forget me. That's what it means. I remember the Lord. I memorialized the Lord. I reminded the Lord and my prayer came to thee into thy holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forget, forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you. That means a covenant meal. Whenever you read the word sacrifice in the Old Testament, it only refers to the peace offering, what we did today. Okay? The other things are called burnt offerings or ascensions or other things. Whenever the word sacrifice means he will, I will res- be restored to a fellowship meal with you with a voice of thanksgiving, a thank offering, that which I vowed I will pay, a vow offering. Vow offerings, thanks offerings are varieties of peace offerings, and they mean a communion meal. Now, just remember that at the end of chapter 1, the Gentiles made vows to the Lord. So they had a peace offering with the Lord, and now Jonah does the same thing. Who went first? Gentiles did. Okay? Same as in the New Testament, the gospel will go to the Gentiles, so it will provoke the Jews to jealousy, and then they'll see the light. Salvation is of the Lord. So, that's his repentance, and all of the, the language there is to express um, how far down he was. He's as far down as you can get. So this is death and resurrection. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it spat Jonah up on the dry land. And then the word came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. We talked about how it's the great city, uh, one of the two great cities built by Nimrod way back at the beginning. Quit looking at that baby and listen to me. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Proclaim to it. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It took three days to walk through it. Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I'm sure he said more than that. We know the kind of stuff he said, because he said it in chapter 1. He said, I am a servant of Yahweh, the God who made heaven and earth. The God who's behind all these other gods. Yeah, you've got lots of gods around here, but you know as well as I do, the reason there's more than one is because they're limited. You know, if you want a love potion, you go over here to Astarte. And if you want good crops, you go over here to Baal. And if you want victory over your enemies, you go to Mars. And the different gods, because each one of them is small and only has a limited jurisdiction. But I'm talking about the guy who made them all. And whatever reality these have as fallen angels, or maybe even unfallen angels who are helping you out, keeping you from falling into complete destruction, they're all inferior. This is the great God. And time is up. He's been overlooking things for a long time. Okay, same as it says in Romans, you know, God has overlooked the times of ignorance, but now he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world. All right, now here it is. This is the world, the world city, the great city. Time is up. Forty days. And the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. What is a fast? If you don't eat food, what will happen to you? You'll die. So going into fasting is a form of death. All right? And you know that's true. Right now, you're all experiencing a certain amount of death because you're so hungry. And there's that Fourth of July barbecue out there waiting. Of course, we have some good sausage. But still, I mean, you know, death is starting to come in if you, if you fast. And what is sackcloth? 
It's what you wrap corpses in when you toss them in the grave. Okay. So this is it. They say we we did. We are dead. We deserve to die. So now they're going to have death and resurrection symbolically. The word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. Says, forget this throne. I'm not king. He gets off of his throne. Laid aside his royal robe from him. Okay? Covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Alright? Dust. Dust you are and to dust you shall return. All of this has to do with death. It's saying, I'm in death. Only if God resurrects me can I have life again. And he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men, it said, let them call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we not perish. Well, you know what? If, if, a, if a cow doesn't eat for a couple of days, you think it starts to make a bunch of noise? Yeah, it starts to cry out. You know, all these animals, they're crying out to the Lord because they aren't eating anything either. Besides, sackcloth is itchy. So they don't like it. They're making noise. God, God's kingdom includes the animals, at least animals that are semi-human. I was talking at, at Bible camp uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my colleague, uh, Rich Bledsoe, was talking about how there are certain kinds of animals that you have relationships with, birds and mammals. Your dog knows you. If you have a parrot, it gets to know you, you know, and you can have relationships with birds, but you don't have relationships with fish. Or snakes. No, some people keep snakes. There's a certain pastor in our denomination who's over in another city right next to ours, which you all know, who's a real snake fan. It's always, if you want to know, if you've got a snake and you want to know what kind it is, just call him Mickey Snyder. He knows all about him. And you know, but you don't have personal relations with, with snakes or with locusts. But you will with a chinchilla or a white mouse. Or your pet squirrel, your pet flying squirrel, or any mammal. God cares about those animals, and they will be resurrected in the world to come. But you want a you want a proof text passage for animal resurrection? This is it, the Book of Jonah. They're carried on the ark, and they are included in the ark that's being made now. Okay, these kinds of animals, the kinds that you cared about, your pet dog that died when you were 12 years old, you will see again. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity that he had declared he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. Now, he said in 40 days Nineveh would be destroyed. Was Nineveh destroyed? Well, yes. They voluntarily destroyed themselves, and that was it. Okay. This is a, there's a kind of a double side to this. God spared them so they weren't destroyed because they voluntarily entered into destruction first. But you don't get resurrected unless you die. See, if, if you want to be resurrected, you have to die. Unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and, what, dies, it abides alone. But if it does, it springs up and is fruitful. And that's just how God does things. He's done it right in the first chapter of Genesis. Between every day there was an evening. 
Now, things go down, then they come back up better than what they were. So, uh, the city had 40 days, and it would be destroyed. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus ascended into heaven, and he's already told the disciples that in that generation, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, hasn't he? He says, you know, when you see it, you know, run to the mountains, when you see that the hosts are swarming around the city and this, that, and the other, these signs are going to take place. Do you think they knew when it was going to happen? I promise you they did. Okay. They knew that it was going to happen in the year 800. And 33 from the founding of the city of Rome, which was in 753 B.C., right? And add 70 years to that. and No, 823 A.B.Q., A.B.C., okay? Of course, whatever it is. Um, that's, they knew it. They didn't know the day or the hour. And they didn't know when the cities were going to be surrounded by armies and when they needed to get out of town and not come down out of the housetop. But I guarantee you they had a pretty good idea that it would be 40 years, because it usually was 40 years in the Bible. And this is an example of it here. Well, if you don't agree with me, that's okay. But I'm pretty convinced they did. I think they knew a lot more about stuff than we give them credit for. Well, it says here in chapter 4 that this greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Now, before we look at Jonah's anger, well, no, we, we, need to, uh, we need to go ahead and look at it. And he prayed to Yahweh and he said, please, Yahweh, isn't this what I said beforehand when I was in my own country? Behold, it was in order to forestall this that I fled to Tarshish because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. I knew you'd do this. Therefore, now, O Lord, take my life from me, because death is better than life. Now, that sounds really terrible, and it probably is, you know, not the, quite the right attitude you ought to. It's not the attitude that Paul had. Paul is the better Jonah. But you've got to remember, when he says this, he's saying, well, what's my life worth? You call me to be the pastor at Providence in Pensacola. And now you have made plain to me that you're going to wipe them out, and I just, I don't want to live anymore. All right? That's what is in this man's heart and soul. Don't think too ill of him. If you spend your whole life praying and working for something, and God says, oh, not going to work. I'm going over here. Forget it. That's hard. Jonah's a faithful prophet. Jonah went out from the city, and God does not say, Jonah, I've had it with you, you know, you stinking nationalistic pig. I'm going to send you into Sheol for good this time. You'll find out that forever can mean forever. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't deal with Jonah this way, because Jonah is not a horribly evil man. He's a man who needs to learn some things, and God wants the people of the Old Testament to learn these things, because it's important for them, because they're about to go into Assyria. And the Lord said, do you have any good reason to be angry? And Jonah went out in the city and sat east of it. And he built a shelter for himself and sat under in the shade so he could see what would happen in the city. Now, we've already read that God relented from his anger. But uh, maybe Jonah is still hoping that the repentance won't be really sincere. So the Lord God appointed a plant. Probably a castor oil plant, it says here. 
gourd, it may say in your Bible. Apparently, this is a Hebrew word, the meaning of which we are not absolutely certain. And it sprang up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was greatly happy about this plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching, burning east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better than life. Okay. Now, what did the king of Nineveh say? He said, who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we not perish. The anger of God is burning anger. And Jonah is given a little taste of it now. Okay, he was sheltered. Now he's given a little taste of burning anger. And now he says again, death is better than life. God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about this plant? He said, yeah, I have good, good reason to be angry even to death. Now, that's the second time God says this. Jonah is angry because the city converts. And God says, do you have good reason to be angry? Now Jonah is angry about this plant. And God says, do you have good reason to be angry? Now that establishes something for us if we haven't figured it out already. That the plant is a symbol for Assyria. For the city. The city converted overnight. This plant grew up overnight. If the city deconverts, that's not going to be good for Israel. The burning anger will come upon Jonah. The burning sun will come upon Jonah if the plant of Nineveh withers overnight. Which is kind of what Jonah wants. He wants, the, he wants their conversion not to last. He wants them to wither. But God says, don't you understand? I raised up this city to be a protection for you. Because judgment is coming on northern Israel, Jonah. Isn't it? Yes. Yes, Lord, it is. And they're going to be taken into exile, aren't they, Jonah? Yes, they are. And where are they going to go, Jonah? They're going to go to Nineveh. Do you want there to be believers in Nineveh who will protect them? Or do you want the city to be full of pagans who don't protect them? Now, that's the point he's getting, getting through to Jonah and to the people of Jonah's generation. If they want protection from God, they've got to get out there and convert Gentiles. Now, we, I think we, we have all learned this lesson because it's taught so many times in the Bible. But let's just think it practically. Who owns the United States of America now? If they don't now, they will soon. China. Would you like to see the Chinese become Christians? Now, if, if they're going to be ruling over us, I want them to become Christians. Okay. This wasn't this way three years ago, but for some reason, we have an administration. I don't want to give myself a heart attack thinking about the present administration. The Lord said, you had compassion on this plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, and which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Once again, the animals come up here. Now, this is another ark. This is going to be a place to protect the people as they go through a flood. Judgment is coming upon Israel. It will be like a flood. God has built this ark. It's got animals as well as people in it. And the guy who built the ark is named Jonah, which means 
dove, right? So we are all in kind of archy, archy language here, okay? Yeah, archy, archy. And this ark, by the way, which is the empire, this is the first form of this ark. The next form is going to be Babylon, and then Persia, and then four Greek empires, and then the Roman Empire. And each of these will be a protective shield around God's people. And God, with that protection in mind, will send them out as prophetic missionaries all throughout these countries. It says in Zechariah, I'm spreading them out as the four winds of heaven into all of these countries. And when we get to the book of Acts, we find that there are synagogues and converted Gentiles all over the place. This happened because there was this big ark around the people. And that ark sinks in Acts chapter 27 and 28. That's why there's a big shipwreck there. And that's why Paul says, if you want to be safe on this ship, hang with me. And in the middle of the night... This would be fun, but we're not going to do it because it's afternoon and you're all starving to death and fasting and dying. But still, they're on the ship. The Roman ship is going down. And Paul says, if you want to be safe, you have to hang with me. And at midnight, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. Whoa, little Passover thing at midnight. And then they're put up on the shore and the new world starts. But that's the, that's the, you know, the ultimate end of this thing that starts here in Jonah is at the end of the book of Acts. It's still that same Roman, imperial, Assyrian, Babylonian, etc., Roman, imperial shelter that is now going down. And if you want to be safe, you've got to get with God's man, who is Paul, Jesus. You've got to get with him if you're going to move into the new world. Okay, any little questions over Jonah and what it's all about and all the rambling we did today? Yeah, Jonah, Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2 shows us that he was steeped in the Psalms of David. So, again, it shows us that he was, you know, an educated, faithful believer at the time. He could just naturally spill out of his consciousness all the language that God had put into David's consciousness through the Holy Spirit two centuries earlier. Which is the way we want to be. I mean, we want... We want to be able to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and that only happens if you start if you sing them a lot and start getting them memorized. <laughs> Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.